So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. This is the Word of God for the people of God. The verse in here that we're going to focus on is verse 3, where it says, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And when I first read that as a young boy, and as I thought about it, I never really studied it, I thought, my left hand doesn't think. So how can it really realize what the other one's doing unless I tell it? So I'm not going to tell it. And then as I got older, I thought, well, it's the same body as the right hand. How can it not? Because it's probably doing it with it. If I'm doing something with my right hand, my left hand is usually helping me do it. It's a two-handed type thing, you know. And so I didn't understand that. But today we're going to talk about what that really means. And it's talking about how to change the world. Now, I mean, it may sound like a stretch at first, but it's not. You see, changing the world starts in your own backyard, in your mind as well, in your heart in who you are, and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody who believes in Jesus Christ and follows Him takes on His characteristics gradually, sometimes suddenly. And they are given by the Holy Spirit. One of those characteristics comes from the fruit of the Spirit and it's called kindness. In Galatians chapter 5, it shares with us those fruits of the Spirit. I should say fruit of the Spirit. And that kindness talks about being generous or giving or not being harsh to the needs of people around you, but gentle and compassionate. Another thing that the characteristic of Jesus Christ is prayer. Prayer is a core foundation and it is the beginning work that we do. Whenever we do anything for God, it needs bathed in prayer. Nothing good happens unless prayer happens as a part of it. Back in the 70s, there was a great revival at the Jesus um, movement, I think they called it. And six people showed up at a tent where they had set out for thousands and six showed up. They began to pray. Six became ten. Ten became fifty. Fifty became a hundred. And soon enough, thousands of people Hundreds of thousands of people got caught up in one of the great awakenings of the early 70s, the last century. Six, bathing it in prayer. We often think that we don't have enough or the task is too large. But if six can reach millions, imagine what 40 can reach. Today we're going to talk about alms. 
And that part of prayer and kindness includes alms. Now, that's not a word we use a lot. We generally say help the poor, help the needy, um, you know, take care of the less fortunate. And alms are defined as acts of kindness given to the less fortunate. That's what those are. And we're seeking to do two things when we do that. To restore their honor and to restore their dignity by showing kindness. To restore their honor and dignity says you matter. Sometimes people are so stuck in their mess they don't know how to get out of it, but they want to. They just don't know where to start. And we or you or I might be the one to step in and say, let me help you in this way. And it's all the catalyst they need to begin to grow and change and trust again. We have this ability to do that because the Holy Spirit is backing up what we're doing. Sometimes we forget that when we say, well, I, there's not much I can do for God. And the fact of the matter is there's a lot that you can do for God if you but do it and God backs you up and adds His Holy Spirit and His power to it. Today we're looking at what an alms is all about. In our bulletin we have the acrostic for alms and the A word is action. God is asking us for action, not words. In James chapter 1, you may have heard these words a lot. And they are so true today, even as they were when James wrote them. Talking about what we are and who we are. And he says in chapter 1, verse 22, Be doers of word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So don't deceive yourself by saying, well, I know and I believe, but not doing anything about it. There has to be kindness mixed in with that. Generosity and giving. And love is a verb. Not you just love Jesus and other people. You have to do something to show that. The fact of the matter is, Christians are known by what they do. By the love that they have. And those who are doers of the Word and not hearers only bear those marks. We have, as believers in Christ, this very awesome task of showing the world that there's another way. A better way. And it isn't something we can just say, well, you know, I think it's a good idea. Jesus doesn't say if we should give alms. He says when you give alms. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Not if, when. There are a lot of different Scriptures that talk about that. Alms are not something we should do occasionally. They are a regular part of our contribution to the world and lives around us. If you're not doing that, there's a few reasons why I can think of. Number one is you, you think you have nothing to give. A lot of people say, I don't have any way to give. So share alms with people who are less fortunate than me. Number one thing to do is pray for them earnestly. Pray for them earnestly. And the second thing to do is to see if they have a need and physically meet that if you can't do it any other way. Hey, how can I help? Can I come over and clean your home? Can I give you a ride somewhere? 
Those are alms, believe it or not. Second reason we may not give alms is because you may not be aware that it's necessary. Christians are called to this as a part of being believers that we share. We don't hoard. We give. We don't take. That is an action of love. Maybe a third reason is you didn't want to. <laughs> a lot of people say, I don't want to do that. Well, it's not necessarily an option when you understand what alms are all about. And I'll share with you what it means by right hand and left hand, and you'll understand why it's a necessary thing. But maybe you just didn't want to. And God's got to get a hold of you and say, listen, I've got to get a hold of you. You've got to be dealt with because right now you don't want to do what the Holy Spirit's urging you to do so you're not listening to the voice of God. And that's a problem. And maybe a fourth reason is you don't belong to Jesus. Jesus never said you had to give alms if you don't belong to Him. He said if you are in a relationship with the Heavenly Father, alms are a part of that relationship. If you remember one of the disciples um, was upset when this woman with precious oil was pouring it all over Jesus' feet. And the one that was upset was the one that held the money bag. He said, I can't believe he's allowing this woman to spend this expensive oil on her feet instead of selling it and giving it to the poor. And the little footnote in the Scripture in the parentheses says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was the one who held the money bag and would take from it from time to time. He didn't really care about the poor. And so when he said something about it, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, but me you will not. And this was from my appointed time that she did this. Now, you say, well, that's a good thing she did that, but hear what he said, the poor you will have with you always. There's always an opportunity to help someone less fortunate. There's always going to be folks struggling. And the way this world is, it'll get worse, not better. There will be more and more. So there's always opportunity. But if you don't belong to Jesus, you may not care. Or you may not hear the cry. Well, the M in alms is marching orders. These are our marching orders from Jesus Christ. This is what you will do as you go throughout your life is helping people less fortunate than you. Not people who can pay you back, but people who cannot. It's a great thing to do. And it's a principle, a basic principle in our salvation is almsgiving. In Luke chapter 12, we find what Jesus says. He's talking about don't worry. And then at the end of that, He says, this is to everybody, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And He's talking about people who are anxious about things. Where am I going to live? What am I going to wear? How am I going to feed myself? And he says, your father knows about those things. Let him take care of those things. Seek God's kingdom. He will take care of those things. But you sell the little bit you have so you don't value things above God's kingdom. 
<laughs> oh, wait a minute. Isn't this optional? If what you have keeps you from blessing somebody else, it's not optional. If you're hoarding rather than giving, Jesus is saying, sell what you have so it is not more important to you than God's kingdom or helping somebody else. If you're holding on too tight, one day your hand's going to unclench whether dead or alive and finally realize, hey, that wasn't as much as important as it could have been. Anybody ever see the movie Schindler's List with um, uh, about the Holocaust? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, yes. A fantastic, and I thought, movie ending. And if you, you may not remember, but I'll, I'll give you a real brief recapitulation of this. At the end, he's a German providing work for those uh, Jewish families who would have died in the gas chambers or otherwise at the prison camps. And he was putting them to work making weapons that would not fire. He was preventing war and saving lives. And at the end of the movie, the war is over and he's going to be wanted because he has been in the German uh, regime. And he's getting ready to get in his car and leave and his lead guy is with him and he, and he looks at his car and he says, oh, the car. You know how much I gave for that car? He said, I could have saved five more lives if I hadn't kept that car. I could have saved five more. And he said, you did enough. You did enough. And he goes, look at this ring. You don't understand how much money I wasted. And lives could have been still a year. And he says, you need to go. He says, but you don't understand. I could have done so much more. I don't want any of us to look at the end of our lives and say that. I could have done so much more. But I held on too tight to stuff rather than seeing the pain and the need around me and not being kind and compassionate which the Holy Spirit is intending for me to be. The fruit is there. Alms, giving to the less fortunate. There's a story of a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And he is not a Jew. He is not a Christian. He is an Italian. And he is in Jerusalem. Now, according to the people of faith at that time, only Jewish folks could get salvation from Christ. But Cornelius changed all that. Now Cornelius, it says, was a man of the Italian regiment, as it says on the screen. He was a devout man and he feared God with all his household who gave what? He gave alms generously to the people. Now he's not a Christian, you see. He doesn't know who Jesus is. But he's giving alms generously to people, to the less fortunate around him. And he always prayed to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius! Now listen to what he says. He said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms, your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, do you remember last week we were talking about the prayers as incense before God? 
alms, the deeds you do, also come up before God with your prayers. And God smells the sweet savor of those and says, there's one getting it. I'm going to pour down a blessing on them so they can do some more. I'm going to enrich them and give them more authority in the kingdom so that their alms can continue and increase. They get this thing. They're not holding on. They're letting go of the stuff that they have. And Peter, at this time, is in another place. The the Apostle Peter, one of the disciples. And he doesn't believe that Christians can be non-Jewish. But God gives him a vision of a sheet with unclean, quote-unquote, unquote, according to Jewish uh, tradition, food he cannot eat. And God lowers a sheet from heaven with all this food he's not supposed to eat and says, eat it. And Peter says, I don't eat unclean food. And, and God says to him, what I call clean, don't you ever call unclean ever again. Does it three times. And he says, there's this man who's sending for you and you go see him. He is not (laughs) what you would call a clean man, a Jew. He's a Gentile. But he's been praying. Look what it says in verse 31. It says, Cornelius, your prayer, this is what Peter says, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. So are yours. God remembers what you do. It's an eternal great thing we talked about last week. So he says, Send therefore to Joppa, call Simon, whose surname is Peter. Excuse me, this is the angel speaking to him, who's lodging in the house of Simon by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now therefore, we all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Listen to this last 35th verse. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness. Works righteousness is alms. Anyone who fears God and performs alms, helps the less fortunate, is accepted by God. Catch that. That if you are doing something out of love for someone less fortunate, God accepts you. If you are not, God is looking and saying, why don't you get that I'm generous with my blessing? Why can't you be blessed and bless others as well? God doesn't like that, I don't think, because He doesn't want ungenerous people in His kingdom. Matter of fact, I don't think there's one. And if you think about that for a moment, there is an amazing, amazing connection where Jesus says, sell what you have, give alms, right? Well, this man is already giving alms. He's accepted by God. And Peter acknowledges that. There's another man whose story is a little more familiar than Cornelius's. And guess what he did? You might have figured it out now. He gave an alms. As a matter of fact, he gave a big alms. His name, you may remember, of a wee little guy named Zacchaeus. 
He made an alms after Jesus came to His house. While Jesus was there, Zacchaeus stands up and says, Behold, I give half of my goods to the poor. That's an alms. And if I have defrauded anybody, by false measures I pay back four times. That's another alms. Double alms. After He said that, Jesus said, Behold, salvation has come to this house. Now He too is a child of Abraham. Why? Because His heart was changed and He began to give alms from a heart that was manifesting the presence and love of God to the people around Him. He didn't have to do that, but when God's Spirit comes in you and the change begins, you want to do something to give it away. Because all of a sudden your priorities change and what you have isn't as important as what you got from God. Amen? And if you haven't got there, I tell you, God's still working on you. Alms are the first fruit of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not, I prayed and I'm going in. It's, I prayed, now where's my alms? If I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell somebody. I want to start blessing people and realizing, man, all this I was holding on to is worth nothing compared to what Jesus gave me. You can have it. I got something better. One of my favorite non-worded cartoons, I wish I had it still, was of a little boy sitting in a bathtub playing with a rubber ducky. And a real duck flies in, is flying in, landing on the tub for him. And he throws the rubber ducky away. And smiles because he got the real thing. It's when you know you got the real thing, the things that are temporary no longer matter. Things that one day you will never need. There are stuff we buy today that means so much to us that six weeks, six years, 60 years from now we'll never wish we had because we won't need it anymore. Things on this earth break, fall apart, and become useless. Things that are eternal never fall apart. Rust and moth cannot decay it. Do you understand when Jesus Christ is real, you're a different person. You're a new creation. Something radical has shifted inside of you. And it's not because you did it. It's because God made you a different person and He's remolding you after the person and character of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why He's putting His Spirit inside you. So you can finish the work of Jesus Christ of loving and giving and sharing and offering restoration. It says First Corinthians Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, that Christ is in the world and God was in Him reconciling the world to Himself. And we have that ministry now. Again, look at Cornelius. God heard his prayers and his alms came up as a memorial. He fragranced the throne room with both. One man changed the entire face of Christianity. And it wasn't Peter. It was Cornelius. A non-Christian who loved God. Just waiting to be acknowledged as a child of Jesus Christ. 
that changed the face of Christianity. It was only going to the Jewish nations and tribes. After that, the whole face of the New Testament changes and the Apostle Paul is sent to the Gentiles and they bless him to do so. Until that time, Cornelius could not have been redeemed. Chapter 9, Saul is still Saul, persecuting Stephen. Saul doesn't become Paul until after Cornelius ushers in the ministry to us who are Gentiles. You and me get a part of this because of Cornelius. And all he did was give to the poor and pray. <laughs> God, that sounds kind of easy all of a sudden, doesn't it? <laughs> Marching orders. Give to the poor and pray. Help the less fortunate. The yes in alms is single-minded. We look again at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 3. This is the one. It's on the front of our bulletin as well. It's how important it is that when you're doing a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now let me share this with you. It is not simply saying, okay, right hand, do this, and you'll hold your left hand behind your back so it, it won't know. Please understand, this isn't that. As a matter of fact, when it says right hand and left hand, they're different words. The verse would be totally wrong if it said, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It would not work. It would be a backwards statement. It would be incorrect. And it would destroy the principle of almsgiving. And you say, well, but what's the difference? When Jesus spoke, they knew the difference. Not only because He used a different word, but because the left hand refers to what's second best in life. It's a second choice. It's not preferred. The right hand is what comes first in life. You see, there's a time when the decision must be made and it's a difficult decision in our life. And there are two things we're trying to weigh. And the thing that comes out in second place is the left hand. It's the second choice. It's the best thing that stays in the right hand. And so what he's saying here is, don't let what's second come at what matters most. If you're giving your alms, do so, but don't put second place and pull it back some. The right hand side was the one that had definiteness in its action. When you want to make a decision or a choice with all that you are and do what needs done with authority, it was done with the right hand. The left hand is kind of, well, whatever. But the right hand was the hand of authority. Making a choice and putting all you are into it. Jesus is seated where? 
At the right hand of God. God chose Jesus and gave Him the right hand of authority. If you shake with the right hand, it says, I greet you on equal terms. You say, well, well, if I shake with the left hand, it does feel kind of funny. It's because you're saying, you don't get my best. You don't get my best. Sometimes if our arms hurt, you know, we, we shake with the left hand. But the right hand says we shake hands in its equal terms. That's what that right hand's talking about. Is when you give it all, you say you have honor and dignity, and I bestow my honor and dignity upon you, and I offer you as an equal with me. You are not less than me anymore. And don't let your left hand say it's not so. Because it'll come in there and say, well, you know how creepy those people are, and you don't really believe that. That's the left hand. Don't let it get in the way. Don't let those thoughts crowd your mind. But say, when I give to the poor, I give to them to lift them up to equal and honor them with my honor. And when the king gave a right hand to another man, the king is saying, you're equal with me in mastery. In lordship. When someone becomes a member of the church, we give a right hand of fellowship. We're equal. It recognizes dignity. Do you understand every single person has dignity? They may not recognize it. They may not know it. But when God has elevated you into His kingdom, you realize that you were once without hope, but now you have hope. And you realize someone in front of you may not have that hope, but you know they have dignity and God will redeem them if given a chance. So you extend the alms and say, God, bless them and let me do this with my hand open. (laughs) And give them the dignity to say, you matter. And they may not believe you. That's not what it's all about is whether they believe you or not. It's the fact that you believe God says this makes a difference. And you trust Him that your marching orders are from Him, and you're single-minded as you do it. To lift someone up. You see, according to Jesus, almsgiving is a minimum standard. It's just basic part of being a part of the faith. In 1 John 3.17, we read the following words. And maybe... You've read this before. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It doesn't. In James chapter 2, we were reading there earlier in James chapter 1. In James chapter 2, he says the following, and I think it's a good way to wrap up. It's one of those passages where you read it and you go, yeah, that's, that's true. I need to remember that. It's crucial. Here's what James says, What does it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have any works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked, destitute of daily food, undignified, if you will, and one of you says to them, 
Depart in peace. Be warm. Be filled. Be blessed. Hope you have a good day. But you don't give them the things which are needed for the body. What good does that do? What does a profit? Thus, faith by itself, if it has no alms, no works, is dead. Alms are a part of a living faith with action, not words. It's a marching order from Christ. And when we're single-minded about it, we don't get distracted from what God's called us to. It's a minimum standard. And when we commune here in just a moment, it's simply saying yes to the way He set it up. The way He said it should be. That's all we're doing. It's saying, I trust your ways are better than mine. And what you've asked me to do, I will. Is that so hard? Here's what I want to share with you as the last sentence of this message. Living faith is much more than words. Would you pray with me? God, I know that you, uh, you hear the cries of your children and the cries of the broken. You even hear the cry of the ones we have seen cast aside by this world and unwanted, unneeded, uncared for by anybody. And yet you notice them and say, they have a purpose in my kingdom. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves before me and pray, give alms, trust I would restore their land and magnify my name Heavenly Father may we be the ones who from this day forward do not excuse our lack of action but rather step into it and say thank you for including us in us being able to make a difference being a world changer by the change you've made in us Thank you for that. Amen. As we get ready for communion this morning, again, I share with you, this is a saying yes.